G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. We are dealing with one of the great messianic miracles found in John's Gospel. Now, what do I mean by a messianic miracle? We're talking about not just a normal miracle, wonderful as it is. We're talking about a miracle that is a signpost or milepost pointing to the fact that the person doing the miracle is the Messiah, otherwise known as the Anointed One. As far as ancient Israel, the people of the Bible are concerned, Messiah, or anointed one, would be the son of David coming on David's throne and ruling not just Israel but the world from Jerusalem in righteousness, in peace, in joy. It's a wonderful thing. And in fact, it was prophesied more than once, many times in fact, throughout the Old Testament that David's son would come and set up a kingdom. We learn, of course, in the New Testament that that kingdom will have no end. However, instead of having a wonderful messianic kingdom, the people of Israel of that day were under Roman occupation, something they chafed at. So they were looking for a Messiah who would be a political and military deliverer from the hated Roman oppression. Instead, they get a humble carpenter, or carpenter's son actually, from Nazareth, who is doing these powerful miracles that somehow not only point to him being related to David and being the king of the Jews, so to speak, but that also simultaneously he would be the son of God. Is this possible? And so when Jesus performed a miracle in John chapter 9 of the healing of the blind man that was put with clay on his eyes, and then washed in the pool of Siloam and began to see, instead of a universal approval and, shall we say, appreciation of the miracle, there was division, almost like a sword coming down and chopping in the, on the uh, cutting board and separating believers from unbelievers. And as it turned out, the believers tended to be those who were of the common people, and the unbelievers were the religious elite who thought they knew better than God himself and were full of hypocrisy and murderous intentions. Our lesson today, as we do this verse-by-verse commentary of John's wonderful gospel, knowing that it is God's word and God's word is inspired and profitable for all people, this lesson is called the Inquisition, where they're going to ask hard questions trying to figure out how this miracle happened. The Reference is John chapter 9, verses 10 to 21. John 9, 10, 21. I want to read just a few portions here. It says in verse 15 of John 9, Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, 
because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division among them. These two verses nicely sum up the response, which was definitely a mixed response that came from the people of Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem had evolved from being just merely David's city and the home of the temple of the Lord to being a religious city. And the attitudes were as hardened as the Jerusalem stone that make up the city's walls. Such hard-heartedness is not going to cut it in the kingdom of God. In fact, it won't even be allowed in the kingdom of God. So what's the point of being so religious and being so self-righteous only to find its profit nothing in the world to come? This is part of the challenge. So the Inquisition has to do with asking this man how he was healed, bringing in Jesus and the issue of Sabbath or Sabbath keeping, and then inquiring why they don't believe. It's time to read the entire segment of John chapter 9, verses 10 to 21. Our lesson is called The Inquisition. Again, that reference is John chapter 9, verses 10 to 21. Friends, let's listen carefully to the word of the Lord. This is speaking, of course, to the blind man. Jesus was, at this point, not in the picture. Therefore they, talking about the Pharisees, said unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him? that he hath opened thine eyes. He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who, ye say, was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. Our reading is from the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, and the verses verses 10 to 21, and our lesson is called The Inquisition. So first of all, it starts off with the people round about, And then it goes on to the Pharisees. Let's focus on John 9, verse 10. How were your eyes opened? Just as Jesus performed his second recorded healing miracle in Jerusalem, according to John's gospel, he healed a man born blind from birth by putting clay on his eyes and sending him to the pool of Siloam. 
just as Siloam means sent. So Jesus was also sent to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead, which, of course, he will do in the 11th chapter of John, the healing, or not healing, the raising of Lazarus. The man's eyes were miraculously opened. We're talking about the blind man. And he could see for the first time in his life. This could be rightly called a messianic miracle, pointing to the Savior, pointing to the soon-coming king, the prophet like unto Moses, the priest like Melchizedek. It tells us in Psalm 146, verse 8, that's Psalm 146, verse 8, The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, the Lord raiseth them that are bowed down, the Lord loveth the righteous. So when eyes are open, it's something that God does, and that either the person doing it is a messenger from God or is God himself, in this case, the Son of God. Thus, the miracle at Siloam pointed to Christ's Messiahship as well as to Christ's divinity. Remember that when you look at the terms of the Davidic covenant found in Second Samuel chapter 7 or First Chronicles 17, God says to David, I'm going to give you a son. He'll be your son. He'll sit on your throne. And your son will also be my son, son of David, son of God. Yet Jesus' enemies and critics among the religious elite were actually not inspired at all. They were alarmed at his success and his anointing. So an inquisition began. Inquisition is severe and menacing questioning, trying to prove that Jesus was a sinner and worthy of arrest and punishment. The neighbors begin by asking the man how his eyes were open, because at this point, Jesus had already gone his way. In John 9, verse 11, the healed man refers to the Lord as a man called Jesus, which, of course, is correct. However, as the chapter continues, this healed man will get a greater revelation who Jesus really is. He starts out as just a man, but it gets better as time goes on. So he recounts how Jesus made the clay, anointed his eyes, told him to wash in the pool of Siloam, and after washing, his eyes were completely opened and he was healed. Then John 9 verse 12, where did this man go, says the neighbors, this Jesus who you speak of? Now, the story of the healing was nicely summarized in the previous verse. The neighbors want to know where Jesus went. But the blind man, now healed, said, I don't know. Now, whether they wanted to meet Jesus for their own needs or whether they wanted to get him into trouble, we're not sure. But the neighbors brought the former blind man to see the Pharisees in John 9, verse 13. And that's where the severe, menacing questioning begins, or shall I say continues. And then we get to verse 14. To which I say, oh no, the Sabbath day. Now, have you ever noticed in the Gospels, not just in John alone, often the case that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day? In one sense, this was probably a good thing because he was in the synagogue or in the vicinity of a synagogue where people gathered together. He could say the prayers, he could give the reading, he could 
perhaps even give a mini sermon or a full sermon. But that's when everyone was there in the synagogue, gathered together on the Sabbath day. It was very convenient. It was like one-stop shopping. However, the problem was that Jesus, by healing on the Sabbath, cut across the grain of the religious elite's interpretation, man-made to the hilt, on how and how not to observe the Sabbath. In their mind, Jesus violated the Sabbath simply by speaking the words of healing and life, and people came whole. But I suspect there is another reason, and that other reason is they were moved with envy, because they'd never seen a miracle, let alone performed a miracle, in their life. And here comes this seemingly untrained, unpretentious carpenter's son from Nazareth in Galilee. And remember, Nazareth wasn't even a one-horse town. It probably had no more than 300 people in the maximum in the days of Jesus, not the 80,000 that it has today. So they were jealous. They were envious. They were, just like in the ministry of Paul in the book of Acts, again and again, the elite were moved with envy, using the pretext that the Sabbath had been violated. So asked again, John 9, verse 15. Now it was the Pharisees' turn to ask how the blind man's eyes were opened. He gives the same consistent response. He put clay on my eyes, I washed, I see. Now, why are they continually asking the same question over and over again? Well, either they're very hard of hearing, and that's not to be ruled out, but another reason is they're hoping to catch an inconsistency in the healed man's answer so that they have an accusation to lodge against Jesus. They want to trip him up, arrest him, and punish him. So, the division, John nine sixteen, Jesus was capable of great division as well as great unity. This was true with the Pharisees because there was no consensus regarding this man from Galilee. Some said Jesus was not from God because he did not keep the Sabbath according to their interpretations and traditions. But others said that a sinner could not do such God-given miracles. Only someone sent from the Lord could do these miracles. The divide between the identity of Jesus and the work of Jesus would continue, but the anti-Jesus party would eventually prevail all the way till Golgotha. But you know what? At the end of the day, it wasn't them that prevailed. It was the gospel plan of God that prevailed in the end. Nobody took Jesus' life. He willingly laid it down for our sins. Then we get to John 19, verse 17. What do you think? In a most remarkable response, due to the division among the Pharisees, these Pharisees, same ones, asked for the healed man's opinion on Jesus. Now, normally, they wouldn't even bother speaking to a commoner, let alone ask for his opinion. Nevertheless, the man was the one on the front lines. He met Jesus face to face. He saw what was happening. So basically, well, what do you think of this man? The healed man had gone from calling Jesus just the man to calling Jesus a prophet, which, of course, he is. He is the prophet that was prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. This is very correct. But, of course, with Jesus, there is more. So then we get to verse 18. The skeptics among the Jews 
refused to believe that this man was blind and received his sight. They waited to verify this fact from his parents. I mean, who is the real blind ones in this whole episode? Is it the man that was born blind, or is it Jesus' critics? I think it's becoming obvious that Jesus' critics suffered far greater blindness and far more serious than what this blind man ever knew before. I mean, the blind man's blindness was not a terminal illness. His blindness didn't condemn him to an eternity in hell or anything like that. But their blindness was putting at jeopardy their very souls. So in verse 19 of John 9, the parents of the blind man were approached and they were asked, Is this your son who was born blind? If so, how is it that now he can see? The parents, in verses 20 and 21, give a cautious response. We know that he is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he gained his sight or who opened his eyes, we don't know. However, ask him for yourself, because he is of age. Well, this narrative isn't finished. There's more, and I will happily share it with you in our next program. Ultimately, as always, God gets the glory. But what a contorted, miserable response from the very people who should be rejoicing that the blind see and the deaf hear. So our lesson has been entitled, The Inquisition. And our lesson for life is this. Unless one repents of an evil heart of unbelief, they will not be persuaded about Jesus the Messiah, even if the blind see and the dead rise. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.